And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course, and it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. We continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope, and we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hello, Tour Story listeners. Thank you for your continued support, and welcome to Season 4. I'd like to take a second to thank our friends and sponsors over at Isotope. Here at Ruinous, Chris and I rely heavily on easy-to-use tools like RX and Ozone for all of our audio repair, mixing, and mastering. Now, Tour Story listeners can get 10% off Isotope plugins or try Music Production Suite Pro for free for 30 days using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. To get your discount and check out all of their easy-to-use products, go to isotope.com slash ruinous. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous. And use code FRET10. And thank you for listening. Hey, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Good. Where are you at, man? I am in sunny Los Angeles, California. Um, just started my work day and excited to uh, be talking about Bound for Hell. Yeah, man. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, so you um, you may or may not be the resident metalhead over there at Numero Group. I, 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 I'm going to take that flag. I am, I am the resident metalhead for sure. Uh, I don't think anyone at the label would dispute that either. I mean, there's a lot of music lovers and we, you know, Numero gets kind of like pigeonholed as like, Oh, they're the people that do the soul reissues or whatever, which we do a lot of, but it's really all over the board. There's new age and, you know, disco and folk and country and everything, but everyone at the label listens to, you know, all types of music, but it's safe to say, uh, yeah, I'm the resident headbanger for sure. 
Did you uh, write that in your yearbook when people wrote like, what What are you going to do? I wrote a studio drummer, I think. But uh, man, Resident Metalhead at a, I have to say, fucking awesome record label. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've worked there for 10 years. Um, I don't know what I put in my yearbook, but, <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, it's, I love the label too. I've been there for 10 years and, and happy to be able to work on stuff like this. Yeah. And, and speaking of, uh, multi-genre, you're a very active DJ. I, okay. I follow you and checked you out and, uh, oh, cool. checked out some of your live sets that I found here oh, and there. Cool. Man, Sweet. killer. Hmm. Thanks. Yeah. I, I got into DJing when I was a kid. Um, I got really into turntablism. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with that, but like, uh, yeah. invisible, invisible scratch pickles and Mixmaster master Mike and all that shit. I was yeah. obsessed with that stuff when I was in high school. So I could never do it. I always sucked at it. And then when I gave up on it, I was like, well, I have these two turntables and a bunch of great records. I should just start DJing. So it's kind of just been a continuation of that. But yeah, I love Usually I DJ about once a week on the weekends and it's so much fun. Um, outside of which I do think is a, a performance art, uh, DJing, what's your musical background? Did you play music? I, I did. And I still do. Um, not as much as I used to. I've been playing in bands since I was a kid, um, mm. since I was about 13 or 14 years old. Um, nothing that was, you know, of note really. I mean, I loved all the bands I played in, but, um, I was like a fill in drummer, uh, on a few tours for a group called little scream. Mm -hmm. My friend Laurel, I toured on her first album. And then I toured my, with my friend Haley who does circuit to you, which is on matador now. And right. she's, I still communicate with her quite often. She's her stuff is great. And I just saw her perform actually in Los Angeles, her and another friend of mine, Whitney did a set together, but, um, but yeah, I've played drums, bass, guitar, and and probably a dozen different bands. Um, but you know, besides those two, probably none you would have you would have heard of. But um, yeah, a lot of them were based in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for about ten years, and then recently moved to Los Angeles. So now I'm really I'm without a band at the moment. But mm -hmm. um, I do have a solo project that I do called Dirty Tricks, which. Um, I put together basically just as a way to have like a calling card for when I move here. Like, Hey, here's, here's this thing I did. Like I'm trying to start a band that sounds like this, check it out. Here's my demo tape. It's just four songs. Uh, and it seemed to go over pretty well. There's a label in Germany called underground power. That's releasing it on, on vinyl and CD. So oh, cool. should, yeah, it's the CDs out now. The vinyl should be soon. And then I'm always writing stuff for, for dirty tricks next release, whenever that would be. But it sounds a bit like, um, hard rock, you know, eighties, heavy metal kind of vibe, which is fitting for actually the bound for hell project, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a bit is sort of the, was sort of like what got me started on the, um, the dirty trick stuff. I started writing music sort of in that vein of the early eighties mm -hmm. LA metal stuff, which I became obsessed with for the past like seven years. I, I knew some of the bands, but I didn't know the, the, you know, the depth of that scene. So Right. hearing those bands and like getting the records and like kind of like learning as much as I could about that scene in the last few years really inspired me to, you know, start writing music sort of in that vein. Oh, cool. That was probably five years ago that I started writing some of this stuff. So anyway. Yeah. Um, man, dirty tricks. 
I'm yeah. not calling you out or anything, but was that name a... was was how many how many there had to have oh, been? Oh, I think I think there's only one actually. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe there's a bunch, but yeah, there was a Dirty Tricks. Um, so God. perfect. Yeah, it's a great name, but there never. I, I don't think there was ever like a heavy metal band called Dirty Tricks. There was somebody in that original band that people get excited about. They're on Polydor. I don't know. Oh, cool. But you know they're they're long gone. So yeah, it's taking the name from them. All right, one last thing on Dirty Tricks. Is it an X or a CKS? It's CKS. (laughs) I could I could um I could do it, yeah, I could do it like tricks the serial, but that might if Um, they if they sue me, then I'll I'll switch it to X. There's your free legal advice from a non lawyer. (laughs) Um well man, you produced this wonderful, extensive uh record, Bound for Hell on the Sunset Strip. Um and it is it it covers it's a book and of course a compilation of um 80s glam rock bands from mm-hmm. Los Angeles um since Nirvana allegedly which we can talk about later I don't believe Nirvana killed this genre but uh since that happened since Smells Like Teen Spirit came out this has been covered extensively and even before with that first or second decline of the western civilization but um this is different, definitely different to me. I poured mm-hmm. through it over the weekend. It's it was really fun and great cool. listen and read and look. Um, oh, cool. What inspired you to take on this gigantic project? Yeah. Um, so uh, the story goes: we had these like production meetings every week. This was actually more of an A and R meeting, I guess. Where at Numero, we'll talk about you know what artists we you know are sort of like in our view that we're trying to sign or stuff we heard that we like that we want to go after or things, just stuff we discovered, you know, just sort of like planning out the future of the label, which we still do these meetings every week. But um, I guess in like 2015, we had an artist uh, that we were interested in who actually lives uh, in Idaho, but um, he had all these stories about his time living in Los Angeles in the eighties and, you know, like sleeping on couches of a girlfriend this week and then a girlfriend the next week and, and hanging with slash and just all these like crazy, like, you know, early eighties, LA, um, typical kind of wild stories. And we're like, man, you know, there's probably a bunch of bands like his that like, you know, have these similar stories. And, uh, I wasn't sure if they were actually serious at the label about actually doing this set because like, like I said, numeros, has this sort of like, it's not something you would think Numero would do as a compilation right. of hair metal, you know, it's like, so when they said like, we could do, if we did a whole set of this and that we had all these great stories and I'm sure the photos would be great. That would be a really cool set. And everyone kind of laughed and like, yeah, that would be fun. And then I was like, I'm going to like look into this and see what kind of music is out there. It was like over one weekend. I think I discovered like 10, you know, privately pressed, like LA metal playing shows at the Roxy playing with, um, Metallica at the whiskey, all these bands yeah. that were like, obviously around the same time, the bands that were getting signed playing shows and stuff. So it only took me a matter of time to like, like realize like, Hey, we could actually do this if we wanted to, there's enough bands out there and there's enough like interesting photos just online and like cool looking records. And I kind of like pitched it to everyone sort of like, like, were you guys serious about doing this release? Cause I think we could, if you wanted to, and yeah. they were like, just run with it. Like if you're into it and you want to do it, run with it. So it took me a few years to complete it. Um, but, um, mostly just because I, you know, it's hard tracking down a lot of the artists. And then when you do, they're like, who is this kid asking me about this, like 
seven inch I pressed 200 <laughs> copies of in 1983 that I don't even have, you know, like I finally had a runway sort of in the last couple of years to like get it done, get it finished. Um, our main A&R guy here, Douglas, uh, Douglas McGowan, he, he was instrumental in kind of like helping us round the, the last bend and making mm-hmm. sure we could, you know, had all the deals in place before we, you know, put out the box set. But um, yeah, it was me. And then also Kevin Estrada, I should mention too. Um, he is the co-producer on this project and mm-hmm. and it was really him. Uh, when I started sort of researching this, these bands in 2015, he was asking me like, probably after I'd been researching only for a few months, he's like, what are you, what are you doing next? Like, what's your next thing? Like that maybe I can help out. And I was like, I really want to do this like LA glam metal box set. And he was like, that's, that's my scene. Like he grew up in that scene. He went to all the shows. Like he had all the photos of the bands. He knew all the bands still. Like he was just, yeah, he was just a kid um, going into shows with a camera, like taped to his back and like showing it because you couldn't like take photos so he yeah, would just yeah. like sneak a, sneak a camera in and he would take photos and he was like you're you're literally talking about like my this is what i grew up in so um it was kind of a no-brainer to have him on board he was like really kind of the first connection so like i would come and be like hey i've discovered this band you know called uh vvsi like do you know anything yeah, about him and he's like those are my friends i have his email <laughs> his email here's his phone number i'm like oh that's great and he would also come with suggestions too. It's like, I wasn't there. So like, I can, yeah. I know what the internet's telling me was around back then, but he was like, oh, you're missing this band, this band. Like we should talk, reach out to this band. Like, anyway, it was, he, he, it wouldn't have happened without him. He was, he was there for it. So. Yeah. It's the, the research is clearly was extensive and the yeah. man, the photos are so fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's part, not the main reason we did the set, but part of it, like you knew going into it that, the first band to send us photos was Witch. Uh, was one of the first bands we signed, and yeah. they sent us a batch of photos. I think in 2016, and that was when it was like, okay, this this <laughs> might need to be more like a photo book with a record. There's just yeah. like it's endless. It's crazy. Yeah, and it, you know the one thing I think for me is different is there's a on the compilation itself there is a larger. A representation of women, which is curious to me. The interesting th- t- thing to me is that this particular genre is uh, quote unquote more feminine than almost any other genre. You know, glam yeah. being uh, lots of makeup. Uh, mm-hmm. The the register that the men sing in is more natural for the females' vocal register. Um, yeah, and it is probably the most misogynist genre I know of in my lifetime. Mm. Um, mm. And that's the, that's, you know, one thing that's so interesting because the, the bands with either uh, women singing or the band is all women. Um, they're just, you just didn't see that. You, you mm. only saw, you know, videos of uh, poison guys picking up women. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's one thing that, that is different. The other thing is that a lot of these bands didn't make it. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit later, why, my speculation. But um, first, I'd like to play Stormer. And Stormer was attractive to me because it actually has a bit of a drier sound than your typical glam rock. Everything is bathed in reverb, but this kind of seemed to get more to the point, and uh, I loved it. 
Cool. Here we go. Go into the city. Classic title. <laughs> Classic broad reaching party song title, Going to the City. Uh, it, there's just so much of it on this record. Um, so, going through all these songs for me, I felt like an AR guy. And um, it was so exciting because I was reading about it in the book mm -hmm. and I'd be like, okay, what song's next? What's going to be more ridiculous? What opening lyric is going to be like the funniest thing ever? And it's not all funny. Um, you know, there's a lot of like kind of dark death stuff. Um, what was I, the funniest opening lyric? Do you remember? I, funniest, I don't even know. Okay. I, I don't even know the down. opening lyrics. The funniest lyric was from Rough Cut, Take It or Leave It. It's just the cartooniest. It was something like, uh, I can't remember, but it was, it started with na 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 na. And I'm moving up, I'm busting out of my love. 
don't walk away or I'll cut you loose. Something like that. I can't remember oh, right no, now, no, but it was, it, it's worth it. It's, it's worth going back. It's just classic party lyrics. Uh, yeah. um, so I do want to go back and talk a little bit about what you think is different about this release. Yeah. For me, it's kind of easy. Uh, like hearing you talk about it now, you, you know, talking about the songs being drenched in reverb and talking about, you know, um, it, like with Stormer going to the city, it's a bit of a drier sound. It's a bit closer to um, Van Halen, right? It's more yeah. just like musicians in a studio rocking. There's no tricks. Um, it's just like, you know, four people playing a song. That's what you have. Right. Um, of course, as the scene goes on, things get a bit more, like you said, drenched in reverb, production values get higher. Um, the hair gets higher, the clothes get crazier, the stage antics get crazier. And that's kind of what people know, right? That's like yeah. when you say, when you say glam metal or people say hair metal, but like the artists on this comp would get upset if you said hair metal, right? Because to them, and you know, once I started researching it, you kind of see like hair metal or whatever you want to call it, like, what we're what we have on Bound for Hell is sort of like before all that. Like it's better for us to say glam metal or even just hard rock or heavy metal, right? Because, um, like really, like there's not one song on this record that came out or was recorded after 1985, and that's sort of like I wasn't around that back then, so I'm only just going by like what I'm seeing in bands' discographies and like when bands were getting signed, but like things started to really kind of amp up and really turn into that sort of version of hair metal that everyone knows with the poisons and the warrants and shit like that. And everyone yeah. on MTV and it's kind of out of control, but this set, what makes it different to get to your question is that we're highlighting the bands that were there before all that stuff happened before mm. the major label feeding frenzy. We're there sort of like getting the rough and tumble kind of like uh, earlier bands that were, you know, headlining shows over bands like rat and motley crew and sharing the stage with metallica or whatever like i said earlier those bands that were in that same scene playing those same shows selling out arenas all over the city but never got plucked and you know sent to a major label you know they they didn't have that moment to shine so whereas a box set like i think it's called hollywood rocks you know that's very much like a lot of the bands that did make it you know it's, yeah. it's a lot of the a lot of the bands that came about in the mid to late eighties. And then also with that set, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of like, I feel like the bands didn't get their stories told as well. And that's the problem with a lot of the stuff that comes out about this scene is it's sort of just like, here's some crazy bands that look like girls that, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but this isn't that, you know, it's yeah. more metal, it's more leather, it's spikes, it's rough, it's loud, it's fast. And um, yeah, it's, it's a bit different than when you like, Decline of Western Civilization is a great example of that scene, but that was, you know, two years after all the artists on this compilation had sort of, you know, like the songs on this comp are way before that song, yeah. that movie ever came out, I guess. So what makes a difference is the amount of research I feel like that went into it, the amount of like st all the stories that are told. Each band has like a pretty healthy bio, which I don't think like a lot of the other sets have done in the past. And also it's a bit of a, it's more like, you know, from Van Halen up until Guns N' Roses, if you want to use like the major label bands in that scene, it's sure. like, you're not going to have anything that sounds like, you know, poison or yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's funny. I don't use the term hair metal. Uh, it's not conscious. I just don't use it, but I, I always call I it used glam. To. 
Yeah. I used to say hair metal all the time. I was like, oh yeah, hair metal. But then after researching this comp and talking to the artist, it was like very clear, like it's not hair metal. Like don't yeah. say that. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, I understand now. Yeah. And I, yeah, again, I was just kind of unconscious. I just always used glam rock or glam metal. Mm-hmm. And I've always been, because my musical roots are mostly in punk music. And um, this type of music has never been my cup of tea necessarily, but I've always been like, interested in it Mm -hmm. and one thing that has always kept my interest in it is and i think it's the root of this glam thing i don't think it's david bowie i think it's the new york dolls Mm -hmm. and i'm reading this kid congo powers book right now and he talks about i think it was 1978 new york doll no 1975 new york dolls played in la Mm -hmm. and that inspired this whole punk movement and this metal movement, and they both took it two different directions, which I think is really interesting. Mm. And when I was younger, it always used to blow my mind when I'd see, like, Duff McKagan wearing a Dead Boys t-shirt or a New York yeah. Dolls t-shirt. And yeah. when I was young, I was like, no, those are my those are my bands. Yeah, yeah. Those are my <laughs> punk bands. But I, I think that's why this L.A. glam metal is different from, you know, the Midwest, whatever, more plain-dressed. And I also think you know british metal was always just a little darker a little mm-hmm. closer to uh the devil i guess <laughs> if anything <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah i mean do you you feel like that glam is the unifying subgenre in the in influence in these bands yeah a little bit of glam like you said the new york dolls and i think also um a lot of the british new wave of heavy metal stuff or bands like um Except I know was a major influence on a lot of the bands. There was a show in 83 that I think gets brought up a couple times. Well, if not in the liner notes, at least in my conversations with the bands that, um, you know, saw Except play in LA and it was like, oh, it was like a kind of like an aha moment sort of for a lot of bands. Um, Yeah, I think it's a bit glam. I think it's a bit heavy metal, but also uh, you mentioned punk too. I, I don't know how many of the bands on this comp were influenced by punk bands. It seems like, a lot of them, um, it was like in LA at the time, what it seems like is like you either had to be, you had to be punk or that you weren't going to play such and such venue. Like they only wanted to book punk bands. And it, right. a lot of these bands are trying to get shows in like, you know, 80, 81, 82. And Motley Crue hasn't been signed yet. Quiet Riot hasn't blown up yet. So they're having a hard time getting gigs looking like, you know, Van Halen clones or whatever, you know, like big hair and shredding solos when most other people in the city are like, this is just, I'm just... From what I know, obviously I yeah, was not yeah, yeah. there, but, but they did, um, I think one thing they did that was kind of punk that you don't see a lot of bands doing, um, especially in heavy metal. You saw a lot of the British new wave of heavy metal artists do this, but like they were recording their demos. They were releasing them to friends. They were like flyering. They were like DIY kind of out on the streets. Um, if they didn't have a label support, they were just going to like pay for the recordings themselves, press the seven inches themselves or press the demo tapes, whatever, give them to friends. It was, it was very much like a DIY sort of yeah. like punk attitude that um, the, a lot of these earlier bands had because they didn't have any support, you know, which is maybe the most closest relation to punk that these artists would have. But a lot of them talk about in the book, like, you know, if you didn't have a Mohawk, you couldn't get a gig in 1981, you know? Yeah. So. That, uh, kill Kilowatt. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ready um, Kilowatt. Terry yeah, Kilgore. Yeah, Terry Kilgore said someone told him, maybe you should go get a Mohawk. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever they say. <laughs> he's, he's, his story is interesting because he was like 
essentially childhood friends with Eddie Van Halen. And they used to, they grew up playing guitar together. The rumor is he taught Eddie Van Halen how to tap. I don't know if that's true, um, but he's definitely like a legend and an incredible yeah. player. And from the whole, you know, whenever he started playing music when he was a kid in, you know, 75 or 76 or whatever, he was never doing punk. It was always just like hard rock with great guitars. And I can't, I can't imagine, especially their band photo. Like I can't imagine how hard it was for them to get gigs <laughs> right. in, in those early yeah. days. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I looked him up be- because after listening to him, it was like, okay, this is a, at the very least mm-hmm. Eddie Van Halen level guitar playing. Yeah. But then you, yeah. I just look him up and it's just like half the stuff is like, the real Eddie Van Halen, pre Eddie uh, Van Halen. Then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just a, everyone's got an opinion about it. Yeah. Um, another thing with, with metal and rock at that point is, as you know, we're talking about how it kind of, this is pre real popular poison kind of glam metal. Mm-hmm. And for me, pre crossover metal. And it kind of diverged after this, I think. And Metallica mm-hmm. had great success with it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the most popular crossover band, I would say. And then uh, Slayer was interestingly in hanging around that scene. And then, but it's interesting to me that it went two different ways. It kind of went pop to, mm-hmm. to the Poisons and and then um, to what I liked because it was closer to punk mm-hmm. was all the faster crossover yeah. stuff. Thrash stuff. Yeah. 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 It is cool to think that they kind of all came out of the same area, you know, um, not not too far apart either. Like Slayer would have been playing the whiskey, um, uh, metal blade. There's three metal blade artists on this comp and bitch. I know played multiple shows with, with Slayer. I was just talking to Betsy. We just had the release party for this, by the way, on Friday at the rainbow. And Betsy was telling me a story about how they, um, used to Slayer used to open for them in Los Angeles. Then they would go up to San Francisco and Slayer would open for them in San Francisco. And all the kids came to see Slayer. And it was just like, well, I mean, it's fucking Slayer, but um, it's, you know, you know, bitch is also one of the more aggressive bands too on the comp. It's still very heavy metal, but you know, a lot of like, especially when you see videos of them playing in 83, it looks like Slayer on stage. And then you hear the music and it's a bit more, you know, just straightforward, heavy metal uh, or glam metal or whatever. But, um, they had that look, you know, you could have put them side by side. It would have made total sense in 84, but yeah, of course they start to go different ways pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, back to, uh, the speculation that, that grunge killed glam rock and Mm -hmm. hair metal, if you will. Yeah. 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 I don't think so. I, I mean, I Mm -hmm. think that helped, but I just think that it was just so saturated and, Mm -hmm they were just churning out so much people were probably just bored with it and it didn't seem to be evolving there's probably so much money involved mm-hmm. people didn't think there was a reason to evolve i think maybe something like uh you know smells like teen spirit was probably just like the final nail in the coffin really yeah I, it, it the scene had sort of again i'm only speculating and only going by what i've read and mm-hmm. and also there's a great the forward I should mention Catherine Turman did a great job. She did all the band bios and, and did the forward too. She talks about it in the forward, but like by 1991, when, when Nirvana's kicking off, like the scene had already kind of, you know, already pretty bloated. And like a lot of the bands that were in the scene had moved from other cities and were just basically clones of bands that had already kind of come and gone in the LA scene. And yeah, I think it was it, like, I'm, I'm sure she says it in the liner notes too, but they, 
I think it actually says something about like it, at that point it had kind of deserved to die. It had, yeah. it, it had been going, you know, I mean, like when you think about Motley Crue getting signed in like uh, 82 or 83 or whatever it was like, you know, the scene had sort of already run its course. That's like 10 years later, you know, after all these bands started getting picked up and, and obviously the scene changed a bit and went here and there, but like it, yeah, it was just sort of the final, um, final nail in the coffin probably, yeah. but it definitely wasn't like what people make it out to be like, you know, everything was great, we, you know, and then all of a sudden like you couldn't do guitar solos anymore because Kurt Cobain or whatever. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. I don't think that was truly what happened but I again know. i wasn't there I, right. i've been getting a lot of shit from people being like who are these gen gen z kids like telling us what? but you know trying to, i'm trying to make it clear that i wasn't there i'm only going by my research and like the you know people that were there that i've talked to you think this kind of stuff's gonna come back um not in the way that it that it was i mean it, when you go down to the sunset strip now which like i said we were just there on friday for the bound for hell release like it's still it's great to go to the rainbow it was great to have so many people from this box set in one spot celebrating you know um some of them still play music some of them don't but like the scene like it was i don't think would ever come back the way it was i mean there's still bands doing the sound and still um i mean heavy metal is obviously here to stay and there's sure. there's so many great bands that you know sound like this and um we're trying to you know sort of keeping that whole vibe alive but it'll never i don't think it would ever be the way it was back in the early 80s you know yeah how is the uh rainbow still intact it's still the same vibe as it always See, has uh well i've only been going there for the past you know uh eight years or so i mm-hmm. uh was probably the first time i was there but um it seems like it. I mean, all the artists were excited to show up, you know, again, I don't know what it was like back in the day, but it seems like, uh, everyone that came to the party had a blast. And yeah. It was sort of like, a, it was like a class reunion, you know, in a way. Who showed up at the party? Oh my Lord. Um, members of, um, <laughs> VVSI were there. Betsy bitch was there. Mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn from Hellion was there. All which right. Was exciting to meet her. Cause I've just been a, a fan of hers just from the label she used to run new renaissance records yeah um it's always um guys from which were there guys from stormer were there one of the guys from la rocks flew down from seattle i was told um two people flew in from london we just had our like company call this morning and some of the one of my coworkers that was there at the party said that's he met two people from london that flew in specifically for this event and i oh wish i would God. i don't know who they were i wish i would have met them but um yeah there was probably like almost 10 bands represented like members were yeah. there. It was really, it was really great. Some of, some of whom I've talked to, some of whom I've met, but most of them uh, I hadn't. So it was like really great to like connect and they were stoked. Oh, the ladies from leather angel were there, which was really oh, cool. Man. Yeah, it was great. So was, they're um, all, they're all sort of receiving this. Well, it sounds like they're all psyched on it. Yeah. I think for the most part, um, the reception has been really good and, and I've gotten a lot of really nice messages from artists and, I mean, you, you can kind of see it too. It was a lot of like big smiles at the at the party, and not just because yeah. everyone was drunk. <laughs> right, right. A lot of a lot of big smiles of you know just like kind of you know getting out. It was nice to have these artists get a lot of rec- you know recognition from people and people coming up for autographs and stuff. It was really it was fun. Oh man, yeah. I was almost going to be there, and I was going to surprise. I was going to surprise introduce myself to you, oh, but cool. I. I, I Something changed at the last minute, and I couldn't do uh, it. But, you uh, live out here too. Sorry, I live in Seattle. Oh, whoa! 
Dang. Yeah. I might have flown down with the LA Rocks person. Yeah. Tim from LA Rocks. You could have. Yeah. Tim. Hopped. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get to go. But I, I yeah, I have been to the Rainbow. The, the two times I went to the Rainbow in the last uh, 15 years, mm-hmm. uh, I walked in and Lemmy was sitting there both times. Yeah. yeah. Afternoon. I mean, yeah. That sounds right. I mean, he was there all the time. They still have his little, uh, his little like bar stool. There's like a little like little plaque where he used to sit. And yeah. I, I'm I'm sad I missed my time didn't overlap in L.A. with Lemmy, but he's he is a favorite of mine. All right. Well, hey, congratulations to you and everyone involved, Numero Group. This is a great record. It's a great record to Thanks. put on too, just to put on. Uh, it is Halloween today, and it. I don't know. Kind of fitting yeah. for Halloween too. It's a fun it's a party. Totally, yeah, yeah. It's it's a bit you know heavy metal always you know hand in hand with Halloween for sure. But I'd say do it over Christmas morning too. Yeah. <laughs> so any any holiday. Yeah. So most people tell me tour stories on this show. Not everyone, but some people do. Do you have a tour story? I do. Um, I. Yes. Okay, so uh, I have I had one ready. I was like, we're talking about Bound for Hell, but it's called Tour <laughs> Stories, so maybe he'll. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Um, also, none of these bands toured, which is interesting. We can talk about that in a second. But yeah, um, I'd like to talk about that. Yeah, um, it, really quick, I'll just say there's the only like it was an interesting thing. It's like the bands like were very punk in a lot of ways, right? Like I was saying earlier, they made their own shirts they dubbed their own tapes they flyered all over the city kind of diy kind of mm-hmm. aesthetic but they didn't tour like punk bands like with a punk band you just like all pile in a car and go play gigs right all yeah. over the country and you know, there's like a network kind of set up in the early 80s for that but um that really wasn't a thing in in that like la clam metal scene there was a few bands that would like venture out in different areas of california black and blue would come down from seattle and play shows in right. la and then go back home but unless you got signed, there wasn't a whole lot of like out of town gigs. I always found that to be interesting. They, yeah. they had a lot of like DIY aesthetics, but they didn't have that like, let's just, you know, get in the, get in the car and go play shows elsewhere. Yeah, anyway. I think, yeah, I guess Hollywood was the center of the universe for them. I'm speculating, but yeah, they were probably like, we're going to get big. We're going to get yeah, big yeah. here, not yeah. in no. Spokane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but okay. My one tour story would be, um, it was the first day of tour. I played in a band. It was a bass and drum band. It was called foul tip. It was bass and drums. Um, so I was the bass player, two piece band. And I, uh, the first day of tour, there was this like weird noise coming from underneath my car. Like something was loose. Something was rattling. It was a, uh, Dodge Grand Caravan, like a minivan that we would mm-hmm. travel around in. It was, uh, we were heading to Milwaukee and, I was like, I'm going to check this out. Like, I'm going to go see what's wrong with the car because it's making this awful noise. And this is like the first day of tour. We can't have this happening. So I get down under the car and I'm like seeing if anything's loose and I'm touching things, which is stupid. I don't know anything about cars. I'm an idiot. And I'm like touching things. And I'm like, put my hand on the exhaust pipe for maybe just a second. And I like basically burned off like the tips of all my fingers, which is like my hand that I would be playing bass with. So it was like yeah. before the first show and I have like no feeling in my fingers and I have to play with band-aids on. It was like probably a week of touring before Good. I was able to like not have band-aids on it really. Yeah. Also, I'm the only instrument it's drums and me. On bass, <laughs> so it's like, it was a, the worst way to start a tour. Anyway, that's my tour story. <laughs> Did you fix the van? I don't, in the end, I don't even remember what was wrong with the van. I can't, mm. I honestly couldn't even tell you. I think it was just like, 
some weird noise it was making. And then it, like the next day it was fine. And we never had any issues. I honestly can't remember. All I remember was like seeing like the skin burned off my three fingertips. It's so funny. Oh, tour injuries. Yeah. No fun. No, no good. That's <laughs> being injured on tour. Being sick is one thing, but being injured. Yeah. That'll shut her down. <laughs> um, well, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Of course. All right. Well, it was great cool. talking to you, and I encourage me. everyone to go to Numero Group and pick this thing up. It's really fun, and it yeah. is the holiday season approaching. So, again, back to Christmas. I don't know why I'm advocating Christmas celebration so much today, but uh, great Christmas present. Yeah, a great Christmas present for anyone in your in your life that loves to uh, rock and roll, loves to headbang. Yeah. All right, man. Well, take care of yourself, and uh, I'll see you down the road sometime. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Sure.